three, two, one. Alexis Sanders, welcome to this Tech Bounce conversation. Uh, you are a very well-known, famous name in the stop technical. It. Oh yeah, stop it! Don't in be so Keep going, keep going. <laughs> and then you wrote this book, and then you made that movie. And how did you feel? No, just kidding. Uh, but, but for everybody who uh, is not familiar with you, can you please quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, well, you're going to have to read my book, which I haven't written yet. But no, my name's Alexis. I'm a senior account manager at Merkle. Um, and I'm an often writer for Search Engine Land, Search Engine Journal, Moz, and um, other industry publications. <laughs> <laughs> You're so humble, but uh, wow. there's so much awesome, amazing stuff that you did uh, and that you're doing. So one of them being the SEO Cyborg article on Moz, um, oh, thank you. <laughs> which I think really awesome. changed the way that I think about Google and um, technical audits in a nutshell. So... I actually would love to start with asking you what your writing process looks like, um, how often you write, and why. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely would not advocate my writing process to others um, because they tell you if you want to write a lot, you should write every day. You should have like a setup. And for me, I kind of just wait until some sort of inspiration strikes um, or try to just form an idea first of what is not being said or what is something that's useful. I had heard on a podcast once someone mentioned, try to think about something that you didn't know last year that would have helped you so much this year. So I try to frame it in those that context, either make it something that I don't see out that's out in the industry or something that I think would be really useful to someone going through their SEO journey. Um, and then after that, I guess for a lot of it, it's just a lot of editing and renditions. Like when I write, I try to just write everything out, um, grammar, spelling mistakes and all, and then go back and make sure that it's edited. I actually add like probably about leave like a separate week for adding images and creating them because I think a lot of times for people, it can be hard sometimes to connect with. 2000 words of blog post. So when you add images, it just breaks up that information and allows people to digest it a little bit better. So I really try to make sure that I set aside time for that type of thing. Um, other than that, yeah, just definitely trying to write as often as possible would be my advice, but I don't necessarily follow that. So, um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's what I noticed yeah, with your pieces. They're very <laughs> thought out. They're very oh, thorough. Um, and they have this big value. And that's important to me as well. Whenever I create content, whether it's a uh, presentation or an article or even a conversation, I try to focus on the things that have not been said. I don't want to be that person that writes the the 99th what is yep. SEO type of article or why SEO is important to in your marketing type of stuff, right? Like the boring Definitely. things. Definitely. And like, I know that I do not have the energy to compete with Barry Schwartz on SEO <laughs> updates. So I can't do that type of short content that's like going to be quick and new and fresh. Like my content's going to be probably more evergreen and longer and, you know, something that's a resource for someone in the long term, hopefully, or at least in a few <laughs> years. But yeah, some of them, some of them take like, a, like the one on machine learning on Moz. I don't know if you've seen that one, but that took about a year. <laughs> to wow. write and research yeah i mean it's eight thousand words but it's uh poor moss that <laughs> is over an 8, words a small this. book pretty much <laughs> thanks yeah it's like it's like i think a book is like fifty thousand to eighty thousand words is like a small one so it's like a fifth of a book or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah. So. yeah but that took like a year so some of them most of them don't take that long um and usually the writing process is pretty um once i I'm ready to start writing, it goes usually fairly fast. I'll create like an outline and just start typing. And then do you collect material along the way? Do you like read something or write down some thoughts and something like Evernote or Google Doc? Mm -hmm. um, usually I will basically create, have an outline in mind or some sort of like inspiration and just go for the writing from there. But yeah, I would definitely say like when I'm creating the outline, it's always about researching like what has been said out there. Who can I reference in all this? Um, is there someone who is known for this and really good at it? And then I guess through that process, a lot of your ideas get eliminated. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff that's been said, a lot of stuff that, you know, you're never going to create something that's better. So why even try type of thing? But yeah, you know, it's good that it's out there. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also think that you know you shouldn't hold back all too much. If you have something great to say or new stance on like some of these evergreen topics, I think yeah. you should absolutely get it out. And I wonder where this comes from. Can you connect it back to something like um, your I don't know, like your childhood or your teenage years where you started <laughs> writing or you know where you had that kind of getting deeper. Getting yeah, it's like actually a psychology session right here. So welcome. Uh, but no, it's, it's, I, I wonder is has this always been you know your personality and always been something that you did or is that something you recently developed? That's a good question because I definitely growing up didn't see myself as a writer. I was always more of the artist side of things. So like the graphic arts, which I think is where a lot of the visuals come into play um, because I'm always trying to make things visually easy to digest. And um, in terms of writing, I guess when it really started for me, when I really started to feel more comfortable with writing um, was when I did NaNoWriMo. I don't know if you've heard of it, but no. it's basically, it stands for National November's Writer's Month. And the goal is to write 50,000 words in a month. So that breaks down to about 1,667 words a day wow. or something like that. And the whole goal of it is to prevent you from editing your work too much because a lot of writers suffer from feeling like they're not good enough in writing. Yeah. Um, I think probably everyone suffers from from that at some point. And if you, you don't, you probably should. <laughs> at least a little bit, you know, not a lot, but just a little bit. Um, so for me, the whole idea is to just like write and just keep writing in every day. And if you miss like a day, you just, the numbers just keep growing exponentially. So um, I think for me, I finished, I think I finished with about like 70,000 words one year. And after that, I just feel like I just became way more comfortable with writing. It became less of like a laborious type thing and more of like, get out your thoughts and then, and then go back and edit and going back and editing is so much easier. And so many people can do it too. I mean, like, I can, for instance, pass it to Max, who who I work with, Max Prin, and we can pass it to marketing, and they can kind of all give their feedback, and that, in a, in a way, transforms the article, too, to be something that's better, but if you are constantly editing your work, it just becomes, you just get stuck in this per perfectionist vortex of, like, never writing anything and just never feeling like you can write anything, so I think, for me, that was probably, probably when I started to become more comfortable with writing. That pumps me up so much right now because yeah. I love that idea. I certainly suffer from that syndrome that I never feel like what I put out is good. Yeah. And I love Max as well. Max, I got to yeah. give a shout out to Max at this shout point. He's <laughs> one of the nicest yeah. people out there. Such a kind guy. It's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous and so smart at the same time. Uh, but we're actually going to tie this all back to SEO, of course. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you were more on the visual side. And mm -hmm. you really care about simplifying complex concepts. Yeah. So I wonder how that mm -hmm. serves you in your technical SEO work, because I feel like there is a connection there. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of blog posts were inspired by that in mind. So there was one about JavaScript and SEO, which I thought was a little bit overcomplicated at the time, or at least to me felt like this is not something that is as complicated as it sounds. Um, so that was the inspiration for that Moz blog. There's one on getting to understand schema.org, which um, basically the whole idea being that schema.org, when you go there, it can be so intimidating and the structure of it can be so mysterious, but in the end, the structure is so useful. And if you understand how to use it, um, they really designed it, the information architecture of that site very well. So yeah. Getting to understand and making that knowledgeable accessible is something that I, I like and I try, I try to do. <laughs> yeah, I feel that all the stuff that you do. I think you have oh, a talent thanks. to simplify thanks. very complex things. And then sometimes uh, bringing in like the fun too. I think that's a big part of learning as well. And there was a book that I had, like, I don't want to say I completely read this book because I don't think you can ever completely read it. It's called Wise Guide, Poignant Guide to Ruby. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. So it's a book about learning the coding language Ruby. And the guy who wrote it is just this weird man who just <laughs> has the weirdest writing style. And he writes and he has all these asides and there's all these like non sequitur stories in this book. And literally you could probably read it like a hundred times and never understand half of the stories that he said, but he's just so weird and quirky that <laughs> I, I love that. 
idea about learning is that it doesn't have to be necessarily so formal and like a technical blog post every single time that you write. It can be it can be fun and entertaining as well. Yeah, I and like add your personality in. Yeah, add your personality and make it exciting. Uh, yeah. I will link to the book in the show notes, of course. Oh. Uh, but a little anecdote that I wanted to tell is my experience <laughs> uh, is my experience with math. So I had math in school and was not good at it. And then I kind of rediscovered math when I dug much deeper into SEO and then got fascinated with it. And I wouldn't say I'm good at math, but I'm certainly interested in math now. And back in school, it was very much that approach you described, this textbook, like one, two step, and this is how it goes. And that's the only way. And if you don't get it, you know, then you have a problem. And then I discovered that there are completely different approaches to learning math. One of them being, for example, that you look at the big theorems that people put out or came Mm -hmm. up with and the problem that they're trying to solve. And that can give you a completely new entry point to math, and that changed my whole perspective to it. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing that you do really well is you said you you bring the fun into it. Uh, So I love how you you, um, created the technical SEO game. So can you please, for the audience, describe what that is and uh, all the answers and solutions too, please? Yeah, so I have two SEO games. Um, The first one is called technicalseo.expert. And it's basically like an online scavenger hunt. It's based after, if you're familiar with OAP Ninja. And the idea is that you have to go through basically the HTML, approach the site as like a mobile site, do a bunch of different technical SEO things, really use the Google developer console and basically navigate your way through this experience. So that entire, I guess there's, three rounds, three levels, I guess, each of them have like about 10 to 18 challenges um, that result in, I guess, achieving a level (laughs) until you get to the end. Um, But when I designed that, I felt like it was a little bit exclusive in unintentionally that someone who probably was stuck at a certain stage for whatever reason would feel like they couldn't get help. And so to complement that game, I made another game called technicalseo.guru, which is basically like an SEO RPG game where you have a bunch of questions and you basically go around the game and collect treasure chests by answering SEO trivia questions. And really the idea is that it's like no consequence learning. So if you didn't know something, you can just learn it, which is really cool to me and exciting because... You know, it's just like you could do like you could take those questions and just do like a quiz with them or you just, you know, go around the world and, you know, have fun with it. I love it. I and I think everybody would agree to that. I want to peek behind the scenes. How did you come up with that idea? How did you design it? Like, what was the process? How did you implement it? Yeah, I think so. I started back in August of last year, like the really early August and ended in about December. So it was like a six month project that I had on the back burner. Um, so it took a, a long time, but I think that's just because there's a lot of stuff that that happened in between like, you know, working and whatnot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I a lot of it, I started off with kind of like, there's a tool called RPG Maker, which allows you to streamline and organize all of your RPG making game. And a lot of it doesn't necessarily require that you know any code but it does help if you run into any issues with it Um, and a lot of it a lot of the time i spent on the inventory actually so there's like probably about like 50 items that you can get in game there's like armor there's weapons there's characters classes everything i mean it just gave me such a new level of respect for game designers and like the level of planning that should go into a game Um, because it just takes forever to create all that stuff and then I actually, I didn't do any custom designs for that. Well, I did a few like minor changes here and there, Um, but like just designing a game would be crazy, like from scratch, because there's so many things you have to add into design. Um, Yeah, I love not a lot of writing went into it. So you'll probably be able to tell that (laughs) as you play the game. (laughs) Um, It's definitely meant to be more of like, just like it keeps you moving, you know, you keep traveling. You know, maybe some things are a little broken. You just kind of ignore it. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> no, I love game design. In fact, games were my entry point to SEO. And what? I, yes, yes. I mean, from, tell us more. Tell us more. I played a ton of video games as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I remember the day that my father brought home two Game Boys for my brother and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, oh God, how, how old was I at the time? I would assume somewhere around 10 years old, maybe a bit mm-hmm. younger, maybe a bit younger. And that was it. That was the end. I got so hooked. I had like a like a Sega Mega Drive and Super Nintendo, and then computer games started. And then it 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 really I really took it to another level when um, you had broadband internet and uh, you could play online with everybody around the world. And I played Counter Strike oh. and Starcraft and Diablo. And like you have, oh my god, uh, like endless games, all endless the games. games all the time. And I was yeah. you know I was so so soaked in and then you know the 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 bridge to seo was when we needed a website for our gaming clan uh to apply for <laughs> tournaments and then i was the guy to figure yeah. out how many website website then wondered how yeah. people come to the website so it kind of spun up from there but i i for a long time actually wanted to go into game development and yeah. i would not rule out that in the future at some point i'm somehow involved yeah. because i love it it has everything that i love right it has the technicalities and uh and code and data but it also has the storytelling the creative side visuals Mm -hmm. and i have a strong feeling you're a gamer too i i would call myself like a semi gamer like right now i'm really into the ring fit adventure i don't know if you've played that no but it's so fun it's basically a switch game that you exercise and you do fitness battles and like it's meant for kind of meant for children like the game is designed for children but um for all ages it's a nintendo game it's for all ages <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but it's really fun let's go through you know some of it's pretty pretty h- tough i mean it wouldn't be tough for someone like you who's like a fitness person but for like us <laughs> non super fitnessy people it's like uh, 200 squats is like a huge deal <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> you know? like start sweating at the end <laughs> yeah well you yeah. should i, I sweat yeah. after 200 squats uh but it's a nice nice way to to make it you know such things a bit more fun and exciting and i feel like there's Definitely. some sort of a theme where you know you just take complex and challenging thing and you make them simple and fun yeah. and exciting yeah and the guided tutorials too i mean honestly gaming's like a great example of excellent content you yeah. know which is something that seos obviously like we care a lot about <laughs> oh yeah so it's kind of interesting to think about their industry too like really does have a lot of it's like a huge driver of innovation there's just so much money in gaming that oh, yeah. you know it's cool to see how if you look at like the rendering engines for certain games over the course of many years like how much better and how much realistic they get and how they're just pushing the cutting edge of being able to visual graphics it's really cool oh it is absolutely stunning and i totally agree with you yeah. uh you know so many people say that the adult industry is where all the modern uh media formats have come from but i feel like gaming yeah. is a much much stronger driver and yeah, i've been um so i've been playing league of legends uh, a couple of years ago, much more intensely. And now I, I like, you know, like install it like once, uh, I don't know, a quarter or every six months. And then I deinstall it right away because I know I'm, I'm not going to be able to stop playing. But man, they, I mean, they're, they have seasons now and they have these mm. large World Cups, which I think have yeah. more visitor, uh, uh, more watchers than many uh, classic sports, sports events. Yeah. And the show that they put up is st- Stunning. They have yeah. holograms on stage. I mean, Jesus, mm-hmm. I'll link to a trailer in the show notes, but I, my brother showed this to me recently and I was, I, I could not believe it. No, definitely. It's, it's crazy. It's awesome though. It is it's absolutely. To strive for. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh man, the gaming community is so strong. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, so um, you mentioned that you use RPG or you did use RPG Maker um, yep. to, to develop that game. And then yep. what does the process look like? Do you just come up with like 50 quests and then you write them down and then you try to translate them into a game? Um, yeah, so for me, like I said, first it was about creating the inventory and then laying out the maps, connecting all the maps together, which actually took a really long time. Um, because you you have to connect every entry and exit point from one map to another. So like anytime anyone enters a building, every time you go off the map, you have to connect all of those together. Um, and if you have a fairly large sized world, you want to make sure that everything's connected in a way that's like the game flows in a nice direction. Um, creating all the enemy characters, the dialogue, making sure the functionality works for everything. So when someone opens a treasure chest that they can't just continually open it. Uh, there's a few like that in the game that you can continually open. I didn't go back and fix all of those because, like, who doesn't love infinite money? But, <laughs> but, you know, 
that kind of stuff as well. And then going back and then making sure you're editing, game playing. I think it took me speed running uh, probably about two hours to play the game, knowing what I was supposed to do um, and kind of skipping everything. So, but I guess maybe some, some faster gamers could probably navigate through that a little bit faster than I could. <laughs> no, it's not. It's very impressive. But as the SEO community thanks you for that game. I think it's oh, fantastic thanks. and it's such a great thanks. contribution. And I mean, just there's no... I don't see any incentive for why, you know, like there's no kind of like pop up in the middle of the game to decide to, no. get, you know, email subscribers or something. I feel like you just did it for the community. Yeah, we there's really nothing there that would give any data back to Merkel or anything like that. It's just like kind of like a cool side project that we I thought was fun. That. Yeah, <laughs> it's good, too. I mean, Merkel does pay for the website, so, you know. What's the I'm download curious, one of our PDFs or something? Give yeah, the marketing no, team a bone. <laughs> <laughs> but I see so many great projects coming out of Merco without Thanks. that feel like just giving back. Like even the Thanks. technical SEO tools that you got yeah. up. All like yeah. what's the? Uh, please explain the philosophy behind that to me. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I think. For me, it's usually whatever I do, like my projects are usually like whatever I do in my free time. So the two games would be like my free time type stuff. And Merkel's just like, yeah, sure, we can host it. Like, why not? And then um, Max's stuff, Max usually does technical SEO as part of his like full-time job. I mean, it depends on like the level of work that he has because he supports almost all teams with any sort of like complex technical issues. But he also works on technicalseo.com and builds out tools. And some of those start off as ideas for the internal team. And some of those are like ideas for how can we help the community in general? Yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah. I just love what, what you're all doing. Uh, great, fantastic team. Um, and so I'm also curious about, um, like, let's switch back to a bit more um, technical SEO. Um, yeah. I wonder what your kind of, routine looks like i mean uh yeah. when it comes to your day-to-day -day, like what do you work on and and how do you approach client projects yeah definitely so as an account manager right now i have three accounts um and every day really looks completely different depending on what the account requires at that specific time and what the client is requesting first and then what we think is important. So usually we'll build out our 2020 strategies in sometime in like late November, December. So that may be later than other people, but that's usually when we build those out and then present them in early January. And basically those are our ideas for the entire year. Based on those, we'll take those big ideas and high level, I don't know, action item strategy type things and then bucket them into different action items that we want to achieve throughout the year. So we'll build out like a giant, basically Gantt chart of things that we need to accomplish. Um, and some of those things are, you know, very technical and mundane and such as like trying to find out which pages have the most similarity in duplicate content. Some of them are way more strategic, like how do we increase appointments on the site and the functionality of that, which, you know, depends on the client and their needs. So that makes sense. Like do you have a, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear. Um, so do you have a, a kind of one, two step process for, especially when you get mm -hmm. a new client or when you look at a website, what are the technical SEO things that you first look at? Yeah, definitely. So, like we actually we have standard operating procedures at Merkle on how to go through and audit a site, but I'm not really a rule follower. So <laughs> I like to do I like to really start with like exploratory testing. So like basically going at the site, looking at it and trying to just find things that I think are wrong. So starting with the site itself, um, I'll usually start some sort of crawl. I'll use something like either on crawl or screaming frog just to start getting ideas on paper and making sure that before I make anything official, I just see what kind of the deal is. And then also if we don't, let's say for instance, since this is a new client, we don't have like GSE or GA or something along those lines, their actual data, 
Then I would go to a tool like SEMrush or Ahrefs and basically look at how they're performing compared to their competitors. Um, if I'm lucky, they only work in a specific industry with very clear-cut competitors. If I'm not so lucky, then they have a lot of different competitors from a lot of different industries. So it's a lot more segmentation. But let's just pretend for the sake of things that, you know, it's some industry where there's like a very clear-cut competitors. In that case, I just pull down all the, that data and sort it, compare it, see like who's the best, who's ranking most efficiently or um, I guess highest per category and see what they're doing and like what does that ecosystem look like. I guess there's also a lot of advantageous um, a lot of usefulness of just going to the SERP and kind of seeing what's going on. I mean, I think for a lot of industries, most people are familiar with, you know, local industry, their SERPs are going to look way different from like a SaaS company's SERP, you know, but making sure that you understand what's going on in this organic search space as well as what's going on the site and where they're ranking overall. So that's probably how I would approach it. We also have like some general technical audits. So like stuff that was in the SEO cyborg where you can go down and just look at kind of checklist items just to make sure that, you know, as you're going through and auditing, you're looking at very specific things. Cause I think the, I guess, disadvantage of exploratory testing is it's very informal. You're not really looking for anything specific. You're just kind of trying to get ideas. But as you move more towards the traditional side of things, I think the idea of almost like a checkmark SEO becomes more useful. And then as you develop more with that client, then you can go more into the strategic side of like, okay, what types of like content hubs are we focusing on? How are we going to address these particular topics? Um, yeah, how are we going to connect everything together? Just fantastic. And it, it looks very much like my process as well. And I'm so glad that you know, I, I, I very much mean it. Um, and I'm so glad that you mentioned exploratory testing because yeah. there was something that I was doing that I never really had a name to. And it's, it's, yeah. that is what you mentioned. It's like, trying the site out look what yeah. it feels like look how it appears in the search results for which there's not really like i never had a name to this and I'm, again yeah. i'm glad that you it's actually this. it comes from software quality assurance so mm. i had taken a class by a guy who actually is now working for the w3c and he in his course that's what he calls it. it's like i guess the official the official name for it so i was like oh <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned the class, yeah, seriously, yeah. I, I, like, oh my Bill gosh, Boone. finally. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin Eisler, check him out. Uh, and um, uh, while you mentioned that you're taking a class right now, um, can you yeah. tell the audience what exactly you're doing in terms of uh, computer science school and maybe also why you're going back to school? Why? <laughs> That's, that is the question. No, um, so I decided about two years ago that I wanted to go back and get a CS degree, which a lot of, I, I've been thinking about grad school, as obviously, but um, to do grad school, you have to have a lot of the requirements ahead of time. And that for me at first was kind of like a drawback. You have to kind of start over and do all these courses and it can be a bit of a pain and school is very expensive, but the one thing I really like about school is that it gives you a lot of focus. So I decided that I wanted to do a CS degree, which I'm excited about. Um, so I've been doing it for about two years now. And um, it's like in some ways it's like a challenge, but it's, I think it's also more fun as an adult because, you know, you don't have the pressure that the students have, whether they, they realize it or not. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been it's been such a great experience. For me, like I, I love school, I love learning. And so it's been awesome because a lot of the things too are things that I would never go out and learn on my own. So. No, I hear you. Know. you. I, have this, <laughs> I have this same kind of pull. I love learning as well. And I, I thought about going to school myself. So I'm happy to talk to you and see what your experience is like. What is the what is the worst and the best thing about it? Um, The worst. I think the worst is just like recognizing as an adult how ridiculous the college system is that's <laughs> it's just always like people in somewhat of authority positions that like aren't in authority positions trying to make decisions which can be frustrating or like you know how expensive it is like it's absurd it's like three thousand dollars per class it's insane but um so those would be the worst parts i think the best parts are the focus that it gives you so 
you have to learn something within a particular time frame and you have to learn it at a fairly complete level to pass the course, um, which is great because like most people, I mean, there are definitely people out there that will go out and learn Calc 2 and people that will go out and learn assembly and, you know, theory of computation and like we're learning now like the church Turing hypothesis or something like that, a rule, I guess it's a rule. <laughs> um, but like there are people that will go out and learn that stuff. I'm just like, I just, I feel like I'm a motivated person, but I feel like I just wouldn't do that on my own. So it adds like this nice um, kind of like side thing that I do. It is. Uh, um, so you mentioned the theory of theory of computation. Is that your favorite class or your favorite subject at the moment? That's just the one I'm in now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just top of mind. Um, so yeah, I'm in two classes now. One's actually on designing web applications, which has been super fun. Nice. <laughs> um, and the other one is on um, theory of computation. So can you yeah. summarize the theory of computation for us? Yeah, so basically the entire goal of the class is to decide what can and what can you not use a computer to do, you know? And then on top of that, how hard is it to do those things? Like how complex is it to do those things? So you start off with like these very simple machines, like you could almost like, I guess, finite state machines is what they're called. And you can think of them as like a sliding glass door, like as the simplest type of thing where you have basically logic where it's like, okay, if someone is there, I open. If someone is not there, I close, you know, if someone is there, I always stay open, you know, those type of things. Um, and then it gets more, more complex from there. <laughs> and, um, how, I wonder how you tie that back. I summarized that well. <laughs> <laughs> well like, teacher won't watch this. I, I, I sure guess I'm the worst person to judge that. So it's, it makes sense to me. You're like, um, that sounds good. I'll take it. <laughs> um, and how does it um, how does it benefit technical SEO or your work in SEO? Like, have you from that from mm -hmm. that class or from from studying computer science? And it doesn't have to, right? But I wonder, have you besides exploratory testing found anything that you were able to apply right away? Yeah, definitely. And some things I think are more easily applicable, but I think. The best part is like the underlying mentality that I, I think they're trying to teach the students <laughs> is this idea that like you just have how to attack a problem and how to take what you know, take what you have and then work from there to solve the problem, which I think is like very similar to what we do with on like a daily basis with SEO because there's always a new way of doing something or some different tool that does something different. So I realized maybe not necessarily early on, but like as I've been doing more computer science classes and as I'm becoming, I've become more seasoned in my career that, you know, sometimes I will stray away from things that I don't know, just in, not intentionally, but um, as an example, one of my coworkers has a background in programming, John Kaizio, which is awesome. He's amazing. And he had sent me this R script and I just didn't touch it because I was like, oh, I don't know how to do with it. And that to me was like, oh, why didn't I like go after that? Why didn't I just like download all this stuff that I needed? Like I could have figured it out myself. But like, I guess the whole idea is that as you're doing school, like you kind of learn, first of all, how to tackle some different types of problems, but then also that like you can. So it's like a mentality of being able to solve any problem. So I think a person who I am now, I would have been more proactive about solving that type of thing. Interesting. And what has, yeah. is there a specific process that you were taught in school that helps you to um, tackle complex problems? Um, I guess you could definitely break it down into a few different um, states. There's a presentation I have on like technical SEO problem solving, which I think kind of outlines that more clearly. I wish I had it in front of me now because <laughs> I'll probably forget a step. Um, the first being to, the first step being like figuring out what the problem is actually asking of you. And I think that can happen a lot of times in like data analysis that like you have this data, you have it segmented in a bunch of different ways. But you need to figure out, like, what question are you trying to answer? Like, what is the insight? Um, so that can help with that type of thing. So figuring out the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, then establishing what do you have? What data are you given? 
I mean, this is very traditional with math, but like you're given everything but the thing you need to solve the problem, <laughs> um, which it ex- like I guess doesn't always exactly fit in the real world. Um, but the whole idea is to think like, okay, what do I have? But then also like, what do I not have? Um, what can I get? What can I not get um, from the problem? There's actually there's a book on I can't remember its title, but it's basically like how to like how to be amazing at math or something. I'll send you I'll send you the official link so people can um, can find that. But the example that he uses is basically about how in World War II the Americans had set up this campo scientist where they would go in and perform statistical analyses and math and do all this crazy stuff to help the US military. And they had this guy who was like a crazy genius who just like the way he was able to synthesize problems was just like out of this world. And so all the mathematicians like looked up to this this guy. And he went through and they all went through this exercise. They had received all of these planes back, all these airplanes that had been shot and basically had established like, okay, well, we have all these airplanes shot. Let's do some analyses on where they were shot to see where we can buff up the armor so we can be most efficient with our costs. And so all these statisticians went through and they said, okay, so we have all these these numbers, all these places on the airplane, and we think because we have um, almost no bullet holes on the engines that we should take all the armor off the engines and put them in other places. And this guy who was like this mathematical genius came in and he said, all right, he like looked at all the data and he's like, well, what you guys aren't thinking about is not just the bullet holes. It's the fact that what about all the planes that didn't come back? So that idea of thinking about what's not there is also really important. And the reason in this particular case that planes, they didn't have any planes that were reclaimed with bullet holes in the engine was because they blew up. (laughs) So there were no remains. So that was actually a very important part of making sure those parts were armed. So just kind of like he gave that as an example of mathematical thinking and how in school that's what they're kind of trying to teach. But in the end, like unfortunately, because partially because there's a lot of math that's been built up that we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants like Isaac Newton, obviously. Um, But part of that reason is that we have all these issues because we don't understand the history. Like we never have to fight that a negative number is real. So why would we question it, you know, or think about it or process that information? Whereas back in the day, like that was a huge question. Like nobody knew how to deal with them. Like whole numbers and natural numbers were like where it was at. So not knowing what you don't have is also important. Um, And then beyond that, trying to set up some sort of formal equation, something that you can solve from there, and then trying to actually solve the problem. I love it. Uh, and it, that's my the airplane example is my favorite um, example for biased samples in oh, statistical yeah. testing. Yeah. That is so yeah. perfect that you allude yeah. to that, but also like your step-by-step process for solving complex problems. And it, it kind yeah, of reminds me. the deck. <laughs> it covers everything. <laughs> and it's in technical SEO terms too. So. <laughs> but I think it's so applicable to everything else as well, right? And that's, that's yeah. what I like about SEO. We're dealing with, with lots of variables and lots of uncertainty, and we mm-hmm. have a lot of complex problems. And the one of the biggest mistakes that I see is that people don't spend enough time to correctly phrase the question that they're trying to solve or correctly mm-hmm. even phrase the problem. You mm-hmm. know, it's oftentimes... Um, and as, by the way, I see this in, in management and in companies and in work in general as well, you know. Uh, but specifically in SEO, it's often like, oh, okay, um, fix this canonical because it's wrong. And okay, that's a very specific use case. But then you come mm-hmm. back to, okay, uh, why, you know, is that page even important? And how does it play into the market strategy? And how does it play into the company strategy? Like, what's the whole purpose of it? And what's the actual problem? Is it that the canonical is wrong? Is it that there is a faulty logic in the system or in the mm-hmm. backend that, that places wrong canonicals? Is it that somebody has access to the CMS and sets canonicals manually? You know, like, so they don't, I feel like the zooming in and out and thinking laterally and, and horizontally um, and um, uh, yeah. vertically 
is is something that a lot of people don't do often enough and would probably help a lot with solving complex SEO problems. So I, I, very, I very much feel that in your approach. Definitely. And that is the cool thing about computer science too, is it's all, it's just all logic. So there's always some break in the logic. So like, I don't know when you're programming, I think the, the common adage is that like, it's never the program's fault. It's always your fault. <laughs> so you have to get used to like, I guess, realizing that it's not a mistake that things are the way they are, Yeah. you know, which I think is kind of cool. It absolutely is. Um, and I think something that's also connected to that is root cause analysis. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the thing that I like the most, uh, or the method is the five, are the five whys. Like oh, I asked myself five times. Yeah. Oh, you love those? You have to? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I feel like we, we just align completely on all of these topics, uh, but just diving no, deeper definitely. and really going yeah. back. That's such a good advice too to someone who's starting off too, because like if you can just continually go like the, that, those five whys deep, you'll eventually get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully, and you can you can apply that to yourself and then go yeah. absolutely mental because <laughs> you start to question like, why you do things and oh my god, why am I like that? Yeah. <laughs> why was it boring? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think too. Whenever, just I guess general advice for like people going through an existential crisis. My mom's like a more practical person than I am. I feel like I'm more of the type of person that's like, oh my God, like things, everything's like weird and life is, you know, nihilism, whatever. <laughs> but my mom always is the per person that's very, been very grounding for me. And she always just says like, just be, just be like, sometimes it's okay to, to just live. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always have to be like, you have to find your purpose. Like you can do that as you go. Yeah, such a big so, lesson. I I, it, it resonates a lot with me uh, because uh, <laughs> recently in my um, position as, uh, you know, more of a manager, um, mm -hmm. I have read a lot of content about management and leadership mm -hmm. and I got stuck, not stuck, I got uh, hooked by this idea mm -hmm. of conscious leadership and I attended mm -hmm. a leadership camp about yeah. three weeks ago in, in Denver and uh, this idea of just being uh it sounds so hippie, but it's so profound and so important. Uh, and, and I have a feeling that a big part of my audience will resonate to that because I feel like you and I, yeah. you know, we're very driven people. We're very curious yeah. and we're pushing all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it quickly delves into blaming yourself for not being good enough or criticizing oh, yourself. God, or Yeah, yeah. right. I, you, you know what I mean? Because we, we yeah. both feel the same thing. And then sometimes yeah. it's enough to just to just be and just do and yeah. That yeah, me. I have this like quote here. I wish I had it with me, but it's like in the back room. So I'm not going to go get it. But, <laughs> but basically one of the quotes one week was like, start with what needs to be done, then start with the possible and then you'll be doing the impossible. Huh. It's like, I was like, oh, it's nice. <laughs> that is really good. But I do, good. I do agree with it because in some ways, like, you know, you see someone like a Rand Fishkin or someone who's like a very talented speaker or just like a thought leader that comes up with these brilliant ideas. And you think like, wow, like they've done so much and they are just so accomplished. But at the end of the day, like getting to that point is just about doing, doing things like just doing small things like writing an article or sharing your thoughts or being active on Twitter or going to a conference and doing a speech that's like not as good as theirs, you know, <laughs> but you know, and then eventually you end up with like a portfolio. So I don't know. It's kind of like, just, just do what's possible. Yeah. Don't stress about, don't stress about the impossible. <laughs> I very much agree. And I feel like too many people, including myself, at least until the last one or two years get so hung up on what other people have done and how they've done it and trying to copy that yeah. instead yeah. of, using the principles which are curiosity hard work yeah. humbleness and then applying that to just whatever they do and how they do it and they just go on their own path right like with the Ren fishkin everybody tries to be the next Ren fishkin and i try like that i thought i thought about that as well for mm -hmm. some time um but there's no other Ren fishkin yeah there's no other Ren fishkin there's no other yeah. jay-z there's no other yeah. Uh, call any big name that comes to mind um there's only one and um yeah. you you know so I would agree too that there's like there's some pressure to do stuff like that. Like yeah. you think about, let's say you speak at the same conference as them, you're gonna get speaker abuse, and yours are probably gonna be way more average. <laughs> like not yours, but like mine definitely. <laughs> and so you just kind of have to like reset expectations and say like, you know, I'll never be good as Will Reynolds or as charismatic as him, but 
I don't have to be, <laughs> you know, like I can kind of approach it in my way. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great call out because uh, yeah. Will Reynolds is a hell of a charismatic guy. Very funny, entertaining, yeah. oh, very cool so and good. smooth. <laughs> you know, I was you thinking see him like, and you're like, you're like, you wonder who got the five on the speaker. Like, come on, <laughs> like, killing the bar for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sitting there on stage with my German accent and, and speaking gibberish that nobody understands, super stiff. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, this is going to hell. <laughs> no, but shout out to all the great people uh, that also paved the way and that, that you know, are doing such, such great things. And oh, I think God, it's also, amazing. yeah, absolutely amazing. And I think it's also something that you can apply this problem-solving process too maybe you know so yeah. if we're to think about like phrasing the problem correctly um you know so okay so, so the, the the basis is that you know a lot of people uh maybe including myself um blame themselves for not being better or feeling guilty or or inferior i'm, I'm exaggerating right now okay so but then like, what, i'm exaggerating but that is what's going on in my head you know <laughs> right right let's, let's be real and honest here like let's just suppose i were to think such a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course let's pretend um and then but the actual question is like, what is the real problem here, right? Is yeah. the real problem that I'm not as charismatic or is the real problem that I'm telling myself the story that I have to be as charismatic as Will Reynolds? And then you can also think about like, what can you actually solve? Like what are actually strengths or what are actually things that you can that you can improve, right? Maybe yeah. it's clarity on your slides. Maybe it's speaking slower, which I'm yeah. working on right now. Um, or other stuff, right? Like, like th I think that's the bigger problem. So the process that you outlined for technical SEO, I feel like you can apply to everything, including speaking. Definitely. Yeah, and I think one of the other things, too, that I try to remind myself of when I go on stage is, well, I don't know. Sometimes I try to remind myself that every time you're getting better. And I, don't, I guess I don't necessarily think every time you're getting better. I think it's more of like a gradual upward type thing. But... You know, you're learning more about yourself. You're learning more about your craft. And, you know, sometimes you are going to not do as well as you usually do. I think a lot of people have felt that before where they'll have really great presentations and then really ones that are, I guess, below their level of expectations for how they would do. And in those cases, you just got to, like, take that as learning, you know, similar to what you said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to tie that back to SEO, I wonder how you keep yourself informed in terms of SEO. Like, how do yeah. you improve your your technical SEO chops and skills, if that's even possible? Oh, it's definitely possible. <laughs> um, I think to some extent going to school is part of that um, and just learning more about how developers work. Obviously, we're doing a lot of client work. I think there's always ways to be more efficient and understand more from different accounts and different experiences like you may be very familiar with one particular stack but maybe if you go on a different stack or with a different I guess even like JavaScript framework or something you're going to learn something different so just working experience obviously I learn a lot from the people around me so at Merkle we're really lucky to have like a team of like 70 people so we can always draw on each other's experiences which is really great I learn a lot from people on Twitter um which is awesome because like, I guess a lot of people, you wouldn't necessarily expect that you would learn a lot from other people on social media, but I think we have such an active and engaged community that we're able to learn a lot from each other. And I think we're willing to share, which is awesome, you know, which probably goes back to almost like the legacy of like Rand Fishkin, <laughs> you know, um, learn a lot from conferences, um, programming. I really like, there is a website called codewars.com and you can break out that they have a bunch of different languages but um, if you want to learn like python or javascript by problem solving you can basically go through and do little exercises on there and their levels from like very beginner to like building out and solving complex problems and algorithms and stuff like that so that's a great resource as well um, I learn a lot from LinkedIn Learning, from client websites. I have one that one client now that has an entire hands-on lab set where you can go in and do all the stuff with their software, which is really cool. It's like, that's neat. <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's so much to learn. Um, Khan Academy, you mentioned math. You must have come across Khan Academy. Then. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean... Sal Khan, like basically my math teacher. <laughs> no, <there's> a, <laughs> it's like he's the like the best tutor for any math student for sure. I'm so jealous of students that have math these days because I feel like 
when we were in school, it was such a struggle to learn math. Like if you didn't get it, like you just didn't get it. But now <laughs> it's like there's so many resources online that like yeah. if you're struggling with any concept in math or just math in general, like you can go back and like sit there and step by step, like from the beginning, learn everything. And I mean, it's just like surreal. Like we never had that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like either you go through the textbook, which was like dry and old and not fun um, or suffer. So I think there's there's always a lot of places to learn and, and perfect your craft. And maybe it's not necessarily like just industry publications because I, I do think we have a lot of amazing industry publications, a lot of people that are sharing awesome content. Um, Google shares a lot of stuff. They have a lot of great documentation. I know you wrote an article about um, learning technical SEO where you got a lot of people's thoughts on learning technical SEO. So we have that as well. Also your thoughts. Your yeah, also big, mine are in there. Yeah, big piece of that it. article. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't really write it. I just like uh, asked you no, and two other people, Paul Shapiro and uh, oh, who else did I ask? I forget the third person now. Paul and um, Bartosz. Oh, Bartosz. Gosh, how could I forget yeah. Bartosz? My apologies. Yeah. But yes, that was that was a great article that started lots of different things. There's another, there's one on Seer too. I mean, like you probably wouldn't need this, but like if you're recommending content to like a beginner, um, one of the, I believe account managers at Seer, hopefully he's not like a director or something. I'm like, we'll write his title. <laughs> um, wrote a great article about like 55 resources for someone in SEO. And so it's like, you can go through that. I mean, there's so many resources out there to like learn and develop and perfect your craft. When I was like, I guess starting, like I think everyone at Merkle's fairly technical but when i was like really starting to get deeper into the technical side what i would do is go back and read um, mike king's technical seo renaissance blog yeah. and just like i would just read through and like list out all the topics that he had covered that i just felt less comfortable with like maybe it was page speed and i would just go through and read all the google documentation and stuff like that so Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that was so a, much to learn. Uh, so much <laughs> to learn. The vomit of like everything. No, I, I want that. I want that. Really, uh, it's so helpful. Yeah. This uh, the show notes are going to be an inventory for. Uh... Going to be hype. <laughs> no, I think. <laughs> that's where it's at. <laughs> no, seriously, it is. That's a that's a great repository of of so many resources to improve yourself, and I think that's a perfect way or a perfect point to uh, to kind of wrap this up because I feel like perfect. we came full circle, uh, which I love, and and I. I want to thank you so much for yeah. all the great value you you gave uh, the audience and me um, but before you. i wrap this up um alexis where can people follow and find you um yeah you can follow me on twitter at alexis k sanders and probably googling but, your name will will result oh, in yeah. Millions. yeah you can do that there's actually though this past week there was someone convicted for a crime so you may see something <laughs> pop up for that okay uh, do you guys you have an, a google alert on your name right I have a what? A Google alert on your name. Oh yeah, of right. Course, yeah. Oh, you have to do it. You get all the juice about other people in the world with your same name. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Uh, that one's not good, me. Sometimes bad. <laughs> so there's any news? Like, yeah. Poor guy. He had a rough life. But. I. Anyways. Well, anyways, hey, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, by the way, for so everybody much. listening and watching, I really appreciate a thumbs up and five stars on iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify, wherever you're watching and listening. Um, I would love to hear in the comments or on Twitter um, what you think. Like, what is your problem-solving approach? What are the resources that help you learn SEO? Tag us on Twitter, comment on YouTube, wherever. We're happy to delve in. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Get to learn from all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alexis. Have a nice day. Bye. Right. Ciao. Ciao.